Yeah, so it's, um, the reading is from uh, Revelation chapter 7, and we're reading from verses 9 to 17. Um, yeah, so reading from 9 to 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people, peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thanks, Leon. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Good to be here with you. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Glenn Decker, one of the pastors here. And for the last uh, few weeks, I've been uh, leading us through the book of Revelation. Um, and this week, we're into our third sermon on Revelation. And um, the sense of God speaking to us uh, as his church and revealing things to us about uh, himself, which is good. It's exciting. So uh, last week, uh, we got, oh, we haven't got pictures up here. There we go. Yep. Last week, uh, we dealt with uh, the letters to the seven churches in the first couple of chapters of Revelation. Uh, we wrestled a little bit together about uh, what a letter might look like or sound like written to us. Um, I asked this week for a number of people, if anyone had them, to send some to me, and so I, I got some. Uh, if you've got some still and you've got out uh, uh, some of those letters that we did last week, uh, I'd love to see them. Uh, just send them to me. They're just anonymous, and they're just I using them in my reflections and prayers, and I wanted to share one of them today. This was one that was just written, I just thought, very nicely um, and cleverly. Uh, and it 
says this. It says, uh, the king, he knows our service, our loyalty. He knows our hearts, our pride, our selfishness. Watch out for pride, lack of commitment, for anti-authority. Listen, taste, see that the king's table is true satisfaction. Look, it's my handwriting, but it's not mine, okay? So don't, I didn't write it, it came from someone else. Just a nice little snapshot, I think, God's message to us as the church uh, for us to uh, reflect on. And um, I'm encouraging you, if you have these sorts of revelations uh, over the course of this trip, just email them to me or send them to me or text them to me. Uh, as God speaks to his church through his church, uh, let's uh, do that together. There's some more on Facebook. If you want to go, I put some up on Facebook and go and have a read of them uh, and see um, what they say. Good uh, thoughts and reflections there. Uh, last week, I gave uh, an illustration, um, a little bit about this. Uh, I've been talking about the revelation um, is, gives us a living hope. And I've got, had this saying uh, that you're going to hear a lot, is what we believe about our future determines how we live now. And last week, I threw out those couple of examples about um, the guys that went into solitary confinement and uh, one guy was told that his family had been killed or he saw his family being killed. The other uh, guy, that, as he went in, um, said that his family would be waiting. He knew his family were alive and he would be reunited with them. And because he had this hope, uh, the way that he approached that, um, how he got through those dark times was very different. We talked a bit about um, you know, the peeling potatoes for a year. Can you remember that illustration? That uh, if you're given pe uh, peeling potatoes for a year, that's your job, and you know that at the end of that, you're going to receive $10 million. Think how differently you peel potatoes throughout the year. And this is what Revelation's doing us. They're saying, John is saying, guys, this is your reality. This is your reward, that you've got a God who has loved you so much that he set out an eternal uh, path for you to be in a family together for eternity with riches beyond compare that anything you've experienced on this earth is just like a speck of dust compared to the riches that you'll have in heaven. Don't forget it, guys. Let that shape uh, how you live and what you're going through uh, in your lives today. What we believe about our future will determine the way that we live now. And it's not just a hope that's off in the future. It's a living hope. It's a hope that changes what we do now. It should change who we follow, who we obey, what sort of decisions we make, what our priorities are. Uh, and so this week, we go from uh, chapters 2 uh, and 3, and as I've said to you, we're going through these seven sections uh, that are through the book of Revelation, and uh, it's sort of like a, a, it repeats going through history each time. And so this week, we're actually going through four chapters. Uh, today, chapters uh, 4 to 7. And in this vision, we get, um, it's the vision of the scroll, if you've been reading Revelation, and I'm encouraging you to immerse yourself in reading Revelation. Get through it as many times as you can over this coming months. Uh, if it's too heavy, just read little bits or skim read it. Uh, just get yourself into the um, pictures and feel of Revelation. 
ask God what he's saying to you uh, through it. And so this week, um, I've said we move from, um, from earth to heaven. So in, if you've got your Bibles there, Revelation chapter 4, um, uh, John records that he, uh, he says this, After this I looked up and behold, behold, there was a door standing open into heaven. And so the chapters from 4 to 7, John is given a glimpse into heaven. He's basically taken up into heaven and he's given a picture of the heavenly reality. And we're going to uh, work through those today. We're going to, um, get, yeah, just come to a bit of an understanding of uh, what heaven may be like. But before we get into that, I want to ask you this question. What is your picture of heaven? What's your, what do you think heaven's going to be like? So this week I've been having conversations with people about what heaven's going to be like. Um, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you allow your mind to toy through that? What's going to happen when you die? What's going to happen when Jesus comes back again? Um, so what's your picture of what heaven's going to be like? So I want you to actually just talk to each other, share with someone sitting next to you. Uh, just, to, just describe to them what you think heaven's going to be like. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to do that, just with each other, with your families or people next to you or whoever. Just talk to them. This is what I think heaven's going to be like, or this is what I'm looking forward to about heaven. Um, I'm really hoping that's going to be there. Um, so just talk to each other about what that might look like. Is your picture uh, a, a garden or a city? Lauren, Lauren and I were having a, a bit of a discussion in the office this week. And um, one of the things we said, we reckon we're going to be able to teleport in heaven. So we can just go anywhere. Or we talked about flying in heaven. We might be able to fly. There's some biblical evidence for that. Jesus could teleport. I don't know if you remember. that He could just sort of appear in our heavenly, our bodies are not going to be the same in heaven. We had discussion about what sort of what level of technology is going to be in heaven. Is there going to be is there going to be none? Yeah. I'm not sure because at the beginning we have you know the the um, the picture we have at the beginning is Garden and Eden. It's a garden. Revelation tells us it's what. It's a city. Remember, like when we get to the end of Revelation, it's a golden city with paths of gold and buildings and stuff like that. So, is it going to be a garden or a city? A city of gardens. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, we just thought that, thought that was interesting. How old are we going to be in heaven? Then we started to have the discussions. Oh, how are, we going, are we going to recognize people? <gasps> what about people who have been married twice? How does that work? And all those sorts of things. Oh, starts messing with your head, doesn't it? Uh, here's the question. Um, this question. Are you longing for Jesus' return? 
Amen. Yep, there's a few of us that do that. That's good. That's good. When I usually ask that question around churches, I usually get the right answer. And that's the right answer. And I'm long, longing for... Well, no, so just go a little bit deeper. Are you really? I had a conversation when Lauren and I were having this conversation um, about heaven. And then we were talking about how, particularly maybe for young people, yeah, Jesus can come back, but just hold on a minute. No? Because there's some experiences that I want to have in life. There's some things on this earth that I want to taste and see. Um, I want to have a family. I want to get married and have kids and stuff. I, I didn't say that. <laughs> um, sorry, there's some comments coming from over here. I won't repeat. And so as I talked to, I remember once having this conversation around our family table and um, our boys were saying, oh, I don't know if I'm that keen for Jesus to come back just yet. Oh, yeah, somewhere in the future. And um, I think that we find ourselves in our current situation where we live in the world, the wealth that we experience, the blessings that we have around us that actually begins to rob us of what heaven's reality is going to be. And we've actually become enamored by the things of this world <laughs> to the point where we actually don't think a lot about heaven. <laughs> Here's a question for you. Who do you think thinks most of heaven? Who do you think think most about heaven? Or The lonely, the old, the sick, the poor. I remember um, going into... Um, you guys probably have had situations too. You go to the third world. You go to people who are suffering. You go to people who are dying. You know what they talk about? They talk about heaven. They think about what heaven's going to be like. Um, and I think we're just, our reality is we need to be very careful about um, the way we think about heaven and earth. And I think that's a danger for us that we're actually being so immersed in this world. Here's a question. Um, in your picture of describing heaven to each other, where was Jesus? Did he actually appear? It's interesting, isn't it? That often when we talk about heaven, we talk about all the good stuff of heaven. I found a couple of quotes this week. This is a quote from Max Licardo. Uh, he says, We may speak about that place where there is no tears, no death, no fear, no night, but those are just the benefits of heaven. The beauty of heaven is actually seeing God. John Piper goes on to say, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven where there is no sickness, where you can have all the friends that you have on earth, that you can have all the food that you ever liked, all the leisure activities that you could have ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties that you ever saw, all the physical pleasures that you've ever tasted, and no human conflict, no natural disasters, could you really be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? I thought, oh yeah, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Often we start to think about the benefits of heaven than actually um, Christ himself. And actually that's what heaven is. is we're actually going to see him face to face and be with God uh, forever. And this picture that we get through Revelation, uh, through these chapters 4 to 7, what is it? You'll see that Christ is generally, or God is center. And the church is gathered around him and they're focused in on him. 
and they're singing about him, they're focusing on him, they're living their life around him and he is dead centre of heaven and the new earth. I've really got to do some broader reading because I'm going to use another Tim Keller uh, example. (laughs) Tim Keller has this example where he's uh, meeting with a 16-year-old girl and he says to the 16-year-old girl, she was really quite down about her life because she couldn't get a boyfriend in life and was down. And she was, he was talking to her um, and he, she was a Christian. And um, he said to her, but you know that Jesus holds you in his hands. You know that Jesus loves you. He's never going to let you go. You know that Jesus is going to, you know, he's got eternity set for you. You know that Jesus is going to be with you in heaven. Um, you know that Jesus is going to comfort you. And she said, yeah, I know all that. But what good is that if I don't have a boyfriend? And we can laugh at that, but we all know that truth. We all know that truth. And so it's this, how do we take this heavenly reality and bring it into our lives so it affects uh, the things that we're doing, the things that we are experiencing? Um, Keller, and I, I think this is what the Bible does, it basically doesn't give any sort of simple answers. It's just keep reminding yourself of your heavenly perspective. Church, keep reminding each other of who God is and who you are because of him. And just keep remember. Think about how many times the Bible says, remember, remember, remember. And as we remember this and as we immerse ourselves in this, it starts to live out through us as God's Holy Spirit takes that truth and allows us to apply it in those situations as we battle against uh, the world and its uh, hold on us and its effects on us. Um, I'm not going to talk about too much here, but a number of you here have read uh, the book Heaven is for Real. Uh, I'm going to touch on it sort of a bit later on in the series because I haven't fully read the book. Um, But it's interesting. I was just uh, looking at bits and pieces um, from this little child who um, had this heavenly experience. And and the interesting thing I was read when talking about um, people who were talking about this, they were just saying, oh, shivers, heaven's real. Heaven's real. It's a reality. This kid was just talking about as it was real. And I think, ah, it's a reminder to us that we have to somehow bring this heavenly reality into our lives. And all around that book, there's all this stuff. As he shares that reality, what what happens around him? It's this. As he shares his story about heaven and people engage with this heavenly experience that he had and think about that, um, there's all these stories about hope living hope that comes as people realise and recognise what their uh, reality is. So today, as we go into um, Revelation chapter 4, John gives us a picture, a glimpse of the heavenly reality of God on his throne with creation gathered around him. And we're going to look at that there's angels and multitudes of people uh, gathered around him. And I thought last night, you know, probably half the church, no, not half the church, a lot of you were at the soccer last night. Uh, Etihad Stadium, 40,000 people cheering on, screaming for uh, whatever team you were going for. And I just think, just, that's just a bit of a foretaste of what would it like, be like to be in that place with maybe 40 million people gathered around Christ and singing and cheering for him. 
So we can have these earthly experiences that uh, remind us of our earthly, I mean, our heavenly reality. What's that going to be like, singing with all of uh, God's people, gathered together, focused on him, living uh, for and with him? So um, we're just going to quickly go, that's sort of just an introduction, gets us into that thinking. We're just going to go through chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7, uh, just really quickly. If you've got your Bibles there, it might be helpful to um, flick through um, them. So chapter 4, John is lifted up into the heavenly realms. He's given a picture of this reality, and here's someone that's made a picture of it. Um, what happens is there's this uh, throne that has uh, this rainbow of color and gems and stuff around it. There's a sea of crystal sort of in front of them. And then there's all the uh, 24 elders. And sort of, I'm not going to explain it every time, but the 24 elders are probably representative of all of the church. Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 uh, apostles sort of representing all the New Testament. All God's people are gathered around. There's the multitude, you know, every tribe, nation and tongue that are gathered uh, around the throne. And this is God on his throne. They're focused on him, praising him. There's these four weird and wonderful creatures. I'm not going to get into them a whole lot, but uh, most people probably... Uh, uh, see them as representing of all of creation, sort of the animal world, the spiritual world, the physical world. So what's this a picture of? All of creation, all the people gathered. The heaven is all of God's people, all the angelic, uh, all the physical, all the, everything bowing before God, worshipping him, praising him, glorifying him uh, as they focus uh, in on him. And this is sort of a snapshot that our heavenly reality is going to be all of us focused on God as we experience his glory uh, together. Uh, we're reminded um, yeah, that, that as we go through Revelation, this is sort of prophetic symbolism. So we're sort of trying to uh, get big picture of this tells us something about the future, but we're not going to get bogged down in all the little details and try and work out all the little details. It's giving us a big uh, glorious uh, picture of who God is because the reality is and you can read all the commentaries people say we still don't really fully know how all of this works um, but we can have some big picture idea uh, of, of what this means for us and chapter 5 uh, he uh, goes into uh, he gets he comes there's a, a scroll God has a scroll in his hand um, and can anyone remember what happens when he sees the scroll in the hand this is in chapter 5 didn't read that. Can anyone remember what happens? John starts crying. Can you remember why John starts crying? Because no one can open the scroll. There's no one there to open the scroll. And so as we go through the next few chapters, what the scroll represents is the way I like to say it, is the unraveling of history. So he's been taken up into heaven to see the last days. Remember Revelations about the last days? And this scroll is going to unroll history. You can read, the, he's going to give a bit of a picture. As we unroll this scroll, we're going to see what's going to be unraveled in the last days and probably throughout history. And so here's the thing. There's no one around that can unravel history. There's no one that can open up history. There's no one that can unlock this mystery. Except who? If you, yeah, except Jesus. And so what happens? What happens? There's one, as he's crying, the angel comforts him. And he says, don't worry, there is one. And he is described as the lion and the lamb. And this is what we get in Revelation. We get these pictures of Jesus. First, he is described as the lion of Judah. 
has the strength and the power to do that. And then he's described as the slain lamb, the one who was sacrificed for his church. So we're getting all these rich pictures that tie back into the Bible about who Jesus is. And Jesus is the only one who has control of history. He's the only one. Um, so what does a seal on a scroll mean? When someone sealed a scroll, what did that mean? Sorry? It's locked. And who was allowed to open it? Only the, the king or the one who had authority to open it. There's only one person in heaven that has the authority to unravel history, to unravel these last days. And there's this picture that Christ is over all of this. And so as we uh, go through these next few chapters of um, what unfolds in these last days, we realize that Christ is over this. He's over all and through all. And even though we don't understand fully how he allows things, why he allows things and what he allows and what he doesn't, we don't understand all the machinations of that. We know that Christ is over it all and is controlling uh, over that and interacting in that. And one day he's going to bring it to an end. Uh, so we have this picture of uh, Jesus. Remember, I've told you that um, Revelation gives us lots of pictures of Jesus that focus on Jesus as our cosmic king. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. He was the lamb that was slain. And it's not a normal lamb. This lamb has, can anyone remember what he has? This lamb, chapter 5, he has seven horns on its head and he's covered in eyes. So this is where it gets all a bit, whoa, what's that? What sort of lamb's that? So what do you think a horn would represent? Power, yep. So in those days, if, you know, big horns, power, that represents power. So a lamb with seven horns, what do you think that represents? A lot of power. That's right, yep. So this, pa this, this lamb has all power. And seven is, you know, sort of the symbolic number of seven means completeness, fullness, the, you know, the full. And so this lamb has full power. And what do you think all the eyes mean? He sees. He sees everything. Uh, so this lamb has all power and he sees everything. So it's, it's, see how it's building up this picture of Jesus who is over all, through all and in all and interacting in these last days as, we, uh, as things are, are, are unleashed on the world. Um, here's the thing. I was, I was thinking of this. We, we get a bit bogged down in this heavenly realm stuff. We don't understand what all this means and how it works. But here's the thing. I was thinking about it as I was driving home this week. Um, does anyone know how power steering works in a car? There's probably a few of you that might, and there's, there's different levels. of. I was thinking about it. I drive, I just turn my wheel, and somehow those wheels, and somehow through electricity or something, that something works with that and works with that, and, that, and, it, and it keeps me safe on the road. I have no idea how it works. I know, sort of have a bit of an idea, but, you know, sort of, I don't know how it all, I don't know how doing that sort of works through electricity and down into there and makes my wheels go that way. But you know what? Every day I trust it. I believe that it works. I know that it will keep me safe. I thought maybe that's a, just a bit of an illustration with Revelation. We're not going to know all the detail of how it works, but we can trust that Jesus is over all, through all, and in all. We can trust that Jesus is all-powerful and all-seeing. We can trust that he knows how it works, uh, and, um, and we can put our faith in it, and it will keep us uh, secure in that. So maybe that's a bit helpful as we go through uh, this. Um, again, in this chapter, everything is in the heavenly realms. It's about all things, elders, church, creatures, bowing, 
uh, before God, singing songs. And what are the songs about? This is interesting. The songs in Revelation are about two things. You would have heard me say this a bit. The songs are about who God is and who the people are because of God. If you, if you go through, that's what they sing about. They sing about who God is and who they are because of God. Um, so keep that in mind as we go through. Uh, chapter 6, uh, we're into the next slide. Uh, what's chapter 6 about? Anyone know what that picture is of? Come on, yeah, what is it? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. You would have heard that. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is what. So these now are the seals. So as the seals sort of open, we get a little bit more revelation of what's in the scroll. And so these reveal a little bit about what's happening in the last days. So in the last days, uh, these four horsemen of the apocalypse are going to be uh, released on the earth. So this is why it's a bit helpful to have your Bibles and have a flick through. And you might want to have a read through during the week as well. Uh, So there's four horses. The first one is a white horse, and he is described as uh, having conquest. Uh, Some people interpret this as Jesus. I don't, uh, there's many commentators that say it's not Jesus, and I'm going with that line. This is, I don't think this is Jesus. Uh, The white horse, um, and as you read through the rest of the horses, um, you'll get a sense why it's not Jesus. Um, This white horse is being unleashed on the world. These are the things that are coming on the world, and it's the horse of conquest. So this is, um, what do we see through history? If we look through history, we see nations and kings trying to do what? Conquer the world. And so in this, you know, remember we're sort of saying spiritual and physical stuff working together. What we see is that there's a spiritual reality that they're in the earth, they're on the earth during these times, nations are going to rise up, individuals are going to rise up, and they're going to try and take the power and the glory to themselves. They're going to conquer lands, they're going to create slaves. And can you think of that through history? Think of that in the last... Uh, um, and, and this is again where... Um, these probably things are not sort of specific, but we can see them applied through it. You can look at people like Hitler. You can look at, but you can make it, and this is where it's interesting as well, because you can also take it back into the Old Testament as well. And that there's always been this spiritual battle of humanity to try and conquer the world and take authority to themselves, take glory to themselves and tell the rest of the world. And so he's saying this is going to happen. Be aware that this is going to be the environment that you're living in in these times. Um, they have a lust for power. They are pride. They are pride, um, prideful and arrogant. Um, so this battle of conquest. The next one is the red horse. The red horse um, represents wars and the horror of wars. It says there will be no peace. There will be hatred and bloodshed on the world. We see that, seeing it through history. We're seeing it right now, aren't we? It's going to be part of your. Re- he's saying this is going to be part of your reality. That as these people are conquesting war is going to come and there's going to be bloodshed and hatred and stuff and you just have to think of places like syria or even russia at the moment africa Uh, these things are happened um, happening through history Uh, the black horse that comes as well uh, represents probably physical or economic hardship the black horse the rider is holding scales what do you think scales represent Anyone have a guess? Sorry? Oh, yeah. What else do scales do? Justice. Yeah, yeah, justice. And so this horse represents that there's going to be injustice on the world. 
the scales are going to be out of whack. Um, and so there's going to be economic um, and um, injustice in the world, physical and economic hardship. Uh, and it's interesting that as, that, as you read through that horse uh, area, the poor go from a little bit to nothing. And here's the interesting thing. But there are people who still get, get uh, what is it, oil and, oh, I can't remember what the other one is, oil and something. Who do you think gets oil and, what was it? Oil and wine. Who do you think gets oil and wine? It's the rich people. So this is a picture that as, as injustice comes on the world, what's going to happen? The poor get poorer and the rich get richer. You've seen that in the world? He said, that's going to be your reality. That's, that's going to be unleashed uh, on, on the world uh, as we interact with it. Remember what I said before about rich people not really needing heaven or appreciating heaven? So these things start to intertwine. <laughs> and, this is, and remember what we're saying. These spiritual, this is a spiritual attack. This is spiritual things that are um, leading themselves out um, in an earthly reality. The last horse is the pale rider. What was the pale rider represent? Death. That's right, Clint Eastwood, um, if you know that movie. <laughs> um, he represents death. Uh, a quarter of the earth um, is uh, death. Sword, famine, plague, we, uh, wild beasts. Um, and I, th- I was thinking about this. I think this represents on earth you're always going to have death. You're probably going to have a lot of death. Uh, and when I was thinking about this, I, I thought of my first experiences when I went to Yalata, Yalata Aboriginal community. Um, and when we went there, the thing that I just hit me time and time again is this place is just surrounded by death. There are people dying here all the time. And I remember Dean Heine, who was the, the pastor there at the time, he said that in a community, this is a community of 200 to 300 people, he had conducted 32 funerals in one, in one year. <laughs> and and it, was this, it was just this reality. I, th- I think sometimes we are sheltered from death. Like, you know, we, we're starting to experience it in bits and pieces around us. But in parts of the world, death is just there all the time. And it, we're seeing it as the, uh, as the enemy of God. And uh, again, he's saying, as, you know, in these last days, we're going to re- uh, experience that. But it's interesting, isn't it? What did we say earlier? People who are around death, what do they do? They have hope for heaven, don't they? They have this experience of heaven, this hope, this, this thing that um, helps them get through that and understands that. And so as these things are unleashed on the world, these are the, th- the spiritual and physical uh, forces that are coming against us. Um, John is reminding that even in that, you have a living hope of a Christ who is over all and through all and in all. And so the last couple of seals in uh, verse 9, uh, you get the seal of the martyrs, uh, people who have died for Christ, and they're crying out to God. And again, we just get this beautiful picture because their prayers are like what? Incense, smoke rising up. And I, I think it's a beautiful picture of your prayers waft up into the nose of God and he responds. He hears them. And he says to the martyrs, the martyrs are you know, people who have died and are persecuted for God. He says, hold, I am coming soon. Just wait, I'm coming soon and your reward will be with me. As he hears their prayers and interacts with them. Uh, the sixth seal is uh, what would be the final judgment in that if you read through verses 12 to 17, you get earthquakes, darkness, the end of the earth comes. And what happens there? All, all of the earth will see 
that Jesus is Lord and they will fall on their faces before him um, and there is eternal punishment for those who reject him and eternal um, hope for those who have put their faith in him. Six, chapter 6 verse 17 says, this is the great day of wrath. And so he's reminding people, um, sort of almost sort of shocking them into reality. This world is going to come to an end and there is going to be a judgment. And then chapter 7, just quickly as we wrap up, chapter 7. Chapter, and this is where we've got to watch the timing here. If you go into chapter 7, it's a picture that actually goes back before chapter 4. And so if you read uh, chapter 7, there's 144,000 which are representative of all of God's people. And though all of God's people, what happens? The angel says, before this is all going to be unleashed, before all this happens, just hold on. He's, he says, hold on. I'm going to go and I'm going to mark my people. And he goes and he marks them with a seal and says, my people are going to be protected. As all of this is unleashed on the world, people who know me and put my faith in he, me are going to be protected. They're going to get through this. They've got an, an eternal uh, reality that is uh, before them. And they are marked uh, with a protection to save them from um, satanic attack, from the things of the world, so that they will uh, get to be in this place, heaven. Because in the end, what is it? What did, can you remember what Leon read? He asked the question, who are these people in the white robes? Who are the people in the white robes? They were those who were saved by Jesus. And now what are they doing? They're gathered in heaven. Their reality is with Christ at the center, with all people uh, focused on worshiping him. Do you picture yourself as one of these white-robed people that is destined for heaven? That, he that heavenly perspective that John gives here, that you're going to be protected no matter what comes on the earth. How do you know that? How do you know that you're going to be one of those white-robed people? And John continues to remind them, those white-robed people are the ones who trust in Jesus. They're the ones that believe that Jesus died in their place and took God's wrath and punishment on him so that their clothes are washed clean so that they can be in heaven with him forever. So if you trust in Jesus, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the son of God who came to die in your place, well, then you can be assured, and this is what John's telling them, you can be assured, guys, that you are destined for heaven. This is your assurance. No matter what comes on the earth, death, plague, uh, conquest, war, whatever suffering that you're going to experience, you can be assured that you are marked with a white robe <laughs> washed in the blood of the Lamb and you are destined for an eternal reality. And this last picture that Leon read for us, again, just lifts us up into heaven and it's all of the angels, all of creation, the myriads of people, the mighty crowd, worshipping and praising God. And it comes to the end, and what do they get to experience with this? They get to experience there will be no more hunger, there will be no more thirst, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more sunburn. <laughs> Did you get that one? Like I won't get scorched by the, <laughs> the heat. 
It says, because you've got Christ and because who he is, you get all these other blessings as well. But we're focused on Christ and who he is. To all who turn to Jesus and trust in him. And our last slide wraps it up. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray this prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So this is this idea that this heavenly reality, this heavenly perspective that we've been talking about needs to be real right now. And we actually need to live out this reality. So we need to proclaim this living hope to our friends, our neighbours, our families. We need to obey Christ. Christ has shown us how to live in this kingdom reality. And we follow Jesus and live this life out now. As we have that security as we have that assurance he says now i want you to live it out because you're already in heaven you're secured there now i want you to spread my hope spread my love because i want my kingdom to come here on this earth so that other people can experience this hope so that injustice can be broken so that um, death can be um, broken in terms of eternal life Remember Ephesians 2, 6 says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. For we are God's workmanship created by Christ to do good works which God has planned for us to do. Do you see what he said? You're already in heaven. You guys, you, you, if you believe in Jesus, you're, you're in heaven. And now I want you to live out this living hope in this world. And I've got things prepared for each one of you to do, to display my glory to the world, to bring hope to those who are facing death, uh, to, be, to remind those who are loving the world more than an eternity, uh, uh, than a spiritual eternity. He said, I want you to live out my kingdom. This is something, this is not something that we just get... At the end, we've got it now, and it affects everything that we do. The way we speak, think, act. So I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking some interaction with Kate. She was telling me about her dad. And as his dad, her dad's probably going to die in the next few days. There's a living hope that he has, and he's longing for it. I got a, a text message from Nick and Sonia. I told you, it looks like Sonia doesn't have much li- longer to live. And I got a text from Nick this week. It just said, Sonia just hanging out to be with her Lord. She has this living hope as she faces death. As Jen's family mourn the loss of an uncle that knew the Lord, <laughs> there's grieving as well as celebrating. As we have those who are around us who are sick and not well, we have a living hope that changes the way we deal with that situation for those in suffering or sickness. Remember last week, I said, the way we approach our daily grind, the way we're going to approach our schoolwork this week. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I want you to approach your work as if you're working for me because I have this great reward for you. So as you're peeling potatoes... <laughs> Just remember who you're doing it for and why you're doing it. It should bring a smile to your face. It should bring you a, a living hope that exudes out of you.
He says, remember the lamb who was slain for you. Trust in Jesus, even though you might not fully even understand how it all works. Trust him, have faith in him, that glorious assurance. Focus on God and make sure it's about him and not about what you're getting. Keep glory going to the king in the way you live now and the things that you hope for in the future. Relish, I was thinking of this, relish the foretastes of glory that you get now. So that might be good food, good friends, the good things in this world. And you, ex- you, you tell people, this is just for me, it's just a taste of heaven. <laughs> I'm not hanging on to the things of this world for the sake of this world. That's f- that just reminds me that there's a heavenly reality of which I'm going to be living with God and eating on a table with God that's beyond anything I can ever taste here. So people of God, let's continue worshipping. So we're going to act out what we've just read. We're going to join with the angels in heaven. We're going to join with the creatures of the earth. um, And we're going to proclaim Jesus for who he is. So I'm going to ask our music team to come up. We're going to sing this song, uh, Salvation Belongs to Our God. Um, And that's what they 